Well, I guess you guys didn't get the memo. This was dress up day with white shirts and ties. Have you remember bow ties? Some of you have seen them in pictures. But anyway, I didn't have a chance to change my shirt between services. So you get to see me as I looked in the first service and along with all the other choir members. But it's good to see you today. And we're, I'm glad you're here. And thank you especially for those of you right here in the first two rows. You are, your stock has just gone up in my estimation. So thank you. And then, then you, uh, you, you, guys are, you guys are good up there too. I don't want to leave anybody out. But it is kind of nice to have some people close. So does Christmas seem like a long ways away? In some ways. To me it seems like way last year. I don't know about you. But you know what? Um, January 6th, just last Thursday, was like um, 12 days after Christmas. You remember when we used to sing the song? On the first day of Christmas. And then by the time you get to 12, you're really tired of the song. But you remember 12 days of Christmas, right? Well, in many cultures and in many places in the world today, Christmas starts the day after December 25th and goes on for 12 days, which brings us, quick math, to January 6th. So on January 6th, in the church calendar, we have a, a holiday a special day that we remember. It is called Epiphany Sunday. That's a big word that nobody uses. You can't bring that up in conversation at your next luncheon or anything like that. It just never comes up. But once a year, it's good to remind ourselves that Epiphany literally means an appearance or a coming into view of a deity or a supernatural being. And this, for us as Christians, it is a symbolic or it reminds us of how Christ offered salvation, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And so the Magi come from Persia, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, and they make the long journey, but they're not Jews. And so the salvation is for Jews and Gentiles alike. So I'm going to read to you the story, and you can follow along, of the coming of the Magi. It's only one place in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today, if you, if you will, is to pretend like you've never heard this story before. Uh, I know you've heard it many times, and some of us have heard it many times. But pretend, just if you can, or if you will, that this is new news to you. It's like, what? Oh, that happened? Oh, I wonder what difference it makes in my life. So I'm going to read it. And I'm going to ask you to follow along or just to listen. But first, let's pray. Lord, it's good to be here together with brothers and sisters in, in Jesus. We thank you for today, Sunday, a day we've set aside to worship and praise you. And we know during the week we worship you in other ways and in other places and sometimes just by ourselves. But on Sundays, at least our tradition here is to come together and to worship you corporately. So we thank you for brothers and sisters who feel the call to come as well. So guide us as we read your word today. Give us that wonder of a little child hearing a story for the first time, or the joy of hearing a story again that we all know so well we could practically say it along. But may it be something that you speak to us through today. So we just thank you that you love us so much, and you care for us that you left us your word 
may we read it reverently and learn from it abundantly. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of, his, of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Matthew tells us the Magi came from the east. This raises questions in my mind, maybe in yours as well. Who were the Magi? And where did they come from? Research shows that the Magi were a priestly caste of wise men among the Medes and the Persians who studied the stars and their supposed influence on people. Magi were also court advisors. They made forecasts and predictions for their royal patrons based on their study of the stars. They were not kings. I don't know how that, how that got started, that rumor, but they were not kings. Never have been, never will be. But they're learned men from Babylonia who were experts in the folklore of the day. Magi, by the way, historically speaking, are the ones that established the planetary system. They were the ones that came up with time computation and the ones who invented the calendar, or at least their version of it. They also, adult, uh, they also dealt with the occult and the, the, the magic. So they, ha they gained the reputation of magicians. And you probably see there's an eerie parallel between magi and magic. And so that's how they are, should be known. Anyway, these group of men, whoever they were, wherever they came from, they were watching the sky, evidently, for some astral phenomenon that would foreshadow the coming of the predicted Messiah. Their ancestor, Balaam, 
Some of you are biblical scholars. Remember, Balaam had predicted this in Numbers 24, verse 17. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, I found this particularly interesting. Again, you have to be beyond the, the wavelength of, of being interested in this kind of stuff. But if you are, they were familiar with the writings of Daniel. And one of the books in our, in our Bible is Daniel. And he was the prime minister of Babylon and Persia for some, some six, six centuries before Christ. And one of the functions of the Magi during the Babylonian res, uh, reign of Nebuchadnezzar was to interpret dreams. And we know that they failed miserably at that. That's how Daniel came to pro prominence, because he could interpret dreams. So Daniel, was, Daniel predicted that after the decree that would authorize the rebuilding of Jerusalem, there would be 483 years, or 69 sevens. And that was to elapse before the anointed one would be cut off. And many biblical scholars believe that this cutting off refers to the crucifixion of Jesus. So again, whether you, whether you take that or not, but it could be because of the prophecy and because it had been handed down and Daniel was so important in these regimes that maybe there was a growing sense of expectancy, that it must be about time for these prophecies to be fulfilled. Well, we don't know for sure what the Magi knew or did not know, but we do know they came from the East. Now, the East, what does that mean? Well, they came from the Parthian Empire, which is East. If you look on a map, and you've got the Mediterranean Sea, and here's Israel. Over here is the Parthian Empire. And this was the chief enemy of Rome, almost like Russia and the United States or China and the United States. Now, geographically, they were a lot closer, but it was their chief mortal enemies. And they had tried, uh, Rome had tried to infiltrate them and conquer them, and twice the Parthians pushed them back. This is the area of the world today, which is Iran, Iraq, in Afghanistan. Now maybe you know where it is. Well, what we know for sure is they came from the east. What else we know about them is a little sketchy. I don't know if you've ever wondered how many magi there were, but in case you wondered, what do you see on the pictures? I had pictures I was going to show you, but with all the copyright laws today, because we're streaming and all that, I, they're not here. But at any rate, we don't normally think three, right? Don't we? How did they come up with the number three? Well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I don't know. But anyway, they were three gifts. That's my best guess. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Does that make sense? And so one king, again, we, now we know they weren't kings, but one of the wise men, one of the magicians, could have brought each one. But there could have been 30 wise men. Well, there could have been 300. We don't know. And what were their names, we want to guess. Do you have any idea what the guesses have been over the centuries? Well, probably you would say, well, 
I thought it was Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. Did anybody else think that? Have you seen that in some movie somewhere or something? Well, sure. Well, those are good guesses. Good as any, I suppose. Instead of Mo, Larry, and Curly, I don't know. I guess they didn't give them those names. But at any rate, um, some of you don't know who the three Sturges were. I just realized that. <laughs> okay, we're in the 21st century. This was way last century. They, were, they thought they were funny. Anyway, so do I. But I can see why it's not funny to you. All right. Was one of the wise men black? Well, all of the pictures have one of them being black. And why not? There were black people in those days. Why not have one of the men be black? But then again, we don't know. All we know is that Magi came from the east. They come to Jerusalem then, and they're asking these strange questions like, where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? They claim to have seen his star in the east or the star when it rose, and now they want to worship him. Again, my curiosity is aroused. How could they have seen the star so clearly? How did they know for sure that this star signaled the Messiah's birth? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, come on, is this just a legend? Is this just wishful thinking? They saw a star. I saw a star too in the sky and it was so far away, there was no light falling on the earth the other night. So maybe you wonder, how could they see a star? And the star guides them to Bethlehem. Some have said, well, it must have been a comet. The comet was going the right way, like go this way to Bethlehem. That takes a lot of faith to believe, doesn't it? How would they know where, where to stop? Which house to stop at? The Chinese astro astronomical tables assert that there was a comet in 4 BC, approximately the time of our Lord's birth. Others say no, it was a planetary conjunction. And I like that one too, but we had a planetary conjunction recently where it was, um, what was it, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, I think. Well, I, I looked at that. I was less than impressed. Um, and certainly that did not make a beam come down and guide me anywhere. So I don't know. But you see, in, in 6 BC, there was a rare conjunction of those planets. Then in 2 BC, uh, Jupiter and Venus experienced an even closer encounter. But it doesn't satisfy me that that was his star in Matthew 2, 2. How could it lead them and stop over the place where the, ch where the child was? I found a Jewish uh, contemporary scholar who puts it very well. And let me just share it with you. And I quote, it was not a star, as you and I know stars, but a unique manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. I really like that. Like the, the pillar of fire and the cloud in the desert. So it was like the Shekinah glory of God. So that made it a very special star, kind of one of a kind, a supernaturally bright token of God's presence seen only by a selected few and used to bring them to God's son in the flesh. Well, again, we don't know for sure, but that's what, that's what our best assumption is. So the inquiries are alarming to King Herod. He would stop at nothing to destroy his rivals, and time does not permit us to talk about what a bad boy he was. Sad excuse for a ruler, probably mentally deranged. Anyway, the Bible, we can see from our study of the Bible that he was terrified, he was upset, he was angry, but I suggest to you that most of all, he was afraid. 
He was afraid. The king of the Jews, I'm the king of the Jews, Herod would say. And as king of Judea, he was known as the king of the Jews. But you know what? The Jews hated him. And now somebody comes from their enemy. Somebody comes from China. Somebody comes from Russia, demanding to know where the new king is. Well, I guess we would be alarmed too. So, He's fearing that a successor not of, his own mind, not of his own line would seek maybe Parthian alliance. A Jewish king might, might initiate a, re- a revolution against this empire in favor of that empire. Hmm. So quickly he calls together the chief priests and the teachers of the law to ask them, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Interestingly, he can link the king of the Jews with the king that these people are looking for. Interesting, he knows enough about it that he can do that. So right away he assumes, where is this king? Tell me in the scriptures. Scriptures, do you think he ever read them? I don't know. But he knows where to go for the proper information. He believes the well-known prophecy related by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. However, knowing about the Messiah and knowing the Messiah are two different things. So many of us know about Jesus. We know about the Messiah, but we really don't know him personally. We know about him, but we really don't know him. This causes me to ask myself, do I really know him? Do I know Jesus? Do I know the Messiah? Or do I just know a lot about him? Can quote a lot of Bible verses, can give you a good answer, which is logically, logically believable. So I I leave that question with you. Do you know about God or do you know God? Really makes all the difference in the world. The Magi appear before Herod and he is a wily one. The fox he's called. And he's kind of foxy in that way. Not in good looking, but in, in being clever. So he pretends to be interested where, come, and, come and tell me where he is, exactly where he is, so that I may go and worship him. Tongue in cheek, wink, wink. God saved the day on that. Did you notice at the end of the story? He said they went another way because they had been warned in a dream. Well, anyway, however they did it, the Magi follow the star. They arrive in Bethlehem. Now you might say, well, when did they arrive? You might not. But if you want to think about it, when? We don't know for sure, but we can almost guarantee, and listen carefully, we can almost guarantee that the wise men did not have to jockey for position with the shepherds that night that Jesus was born. I have seven proofs that I could give to you, but for the sake of time, I will not tell you today. Seven proofs in the Bible to show that it could not have been the night when Jesus was born. It makes a good story. It kind of balances out our crash, our nativity scenes. The shepherds are over here and the wise men are over here. But it is not historically based. Absolutely not. Could not have been. There are a number of clues. Text me if you want to know and I'll send you that page. But for sake of time, we need to go on. We need to go on to what difference does it make. These are interesting, perhaps interesting, maybe not, but perhaps interesting thoughts you might have had. I've had, how many? Where did they come from? What did they look like? What were they really? But so what? 
Some of you have been waiting now patiently for a number of minutes. So what? What difference does this make to us today? Tell me something I can go on and grow on. You know, that's what you're asking of the pastor every week, whether you know it or not. When you come to a sermon, isn't that true? You're, you're sort of like, some people actually fold their arms, so you can tell. Okay, tell me something I don't know. Well, I don't need to know anymore. I just need to act on what I do know. How about you? I've devoted my whole life to studying the scriptures, and I know a lot. But I don't live up to it all on a consistent basis. So I, this was interesting for me. I hope it was for you. First, ser first service didn't get that part. But I'm just going to share with you now some, some possible applications. And uh, I hope that one of them will resonate with you. The first thing I'd like to suggest is that God speaks to people in ways they can understand. That means you and me. Now, most of us, English is our first language. Am I correct in assuming that? Um, there might be somebody here who grew up in Germany or who grew up in Ireland or something, but most of us, it's English. So God's going to speak English to us. You can count on it. He speaks to us in ways that we can understand. Now, I think about the Jewish shepherds. They're steeped in, at least they know, the, the whole Jewish tradition. We call it the Older Testament now. That's all they had. That was the Jewish scriptures in those, in those days, right? And so they, they knew about angels. They're no, no surprise to them. So he sends an angel to talk to the shepherds. But now the Eastern Magi, well, they don't have the scriptures except maybe some of Daniel's prophecies. So what does God send them? A star. They're always looking up in the, in the heavens. So he sends them a star. So our wise heavenly father speaks to you and me in ways that we can understand. I'm just putting it out there. He does. Sometimes we don't hear. Sometimes the problem isn't that he's not speaking, but the problem is we don't hear it. Could that be? I'm just suggesting it. Maybe we're not listening. Or maybe we do hear God speaking and we don't like what we hear. Sometimes people say, and, and, and Pastor uh, Jim Murphy said it last week, just be quiet before the Lord and invite him to speak. Some of us don't want to do that because we're afraid of what we might hear. Oh, God might tell me to do something I don't want to do or to stop something I don't want to stop or to do, start doing something that I'm not. Maybe we just don't want to hear. Maybe he is speaking and we do hear, but we pretend not to hear. Have you ever done that? God is cl clearly showing you. He brings it up in a Bible study. He brings it up in a sermon. He brings it up in a chance remark. And yet you say, I don't hear anything. Sometimes that, that is what we do. Or we might pretend we don't understand. God, we're going to just have to pray a little longer till I can truly understand what is your will and how I'm supposed to do it, and how it's going to turn out before I even begin to follow you. But I say again, God speaks to us in our language in ways we can understand. He is speaking to us right now. How about it? Do you want to listen? It's kind of a blunt question, isn't it? But sometimes that's the way we have to be challenged. Do you want to listen to God? God is speaking 
through his word. God is speaking through his spirit. God is speaking through our circumstances. God is speaking through other believers. God is speaking through our minds and our spirits and our consciences. Yeah, God speaks in all of those ways and maybe more. Maybe God will send an angel to you. I don't know. Maybe God will send a star. Perhaps. But how is God speaking to you? And since he is speaking, am I listening? Am I listening? Listen to God. Ask him for help. Fine-tuning to the Holy Spirit's frequency. In the old days, let me tell you, some of you that are younger, the old radios, they weren't digital. So you didn't just go to 90 point whatever. You had to tune it. You know, and it was like scratch, scratch, scratch. And then you'd get a little bit of the message in. And then it was, you know, these little things that were about this big, usually red or something gaudy like that. And we would try to, to listen. And we'd have to tune it in because there were so many voices out there. There were so many frequencies. There was so, many, there was so much noise in, in the universe. And there still is. But now we can just click or, or push or even talk what we want. But before that, you had to fine tune it. Well, I believe we have to fine tune our ears to hear the voice of God. Because there are so many voices out there. Friends, relatives, schoolmates, uh, sports people uh, on your team telling you, shouting, as it were. So let's ask God to help us fine tune. A second thing I'd like to suggest is people are often led to Christ in unlikely ways and through unusual means. God knows what it will take to get your attention. It's probably not the same as to get my attention, but he knows what it's going to take to get your attention. Has he gotten it yet? Has God gotten your attention to the place where you repented of your sins and surrendered your life to him and become a follower of Christ? I hope so. Maybe God is still sending messages you need to tune in, is my suggestion. Don't limit him through unbelief and lack of cooperation. Some people respond to good sermons. Some come to a clear understanding through reading the Bible. Others, a seemingly stray word in passing that has nothing directly to do with what you needed to hear, but you were tuned in because you had just read about it that morning in the Bible, or you had just talked about that with some of your girlfriends or boyfriends. And so you're tuned in, and you hear this one stray word or this one sentence, and then God speaks to you through that. So don't discount that. Don't discount that. Others enter the kingdom of God in response to some act of love, self-sacrificing kindness. Somebody is kind to you. Somebody helps you in your time of need. Somebody says, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's spend some time together. That can reach people, too. So if God is leading you, I plead with you today to follow his leading. As it were, that star. If you see that star going. Or however he's leading you. Number three. The most ardent, eager, and curious seekers are often those who are far away from him. Now I don't mean necessarily in geography, far away but in their thinking, it's, it's easier to witness to a non-believer 
than it is to witness to a make-believer. Do you know what I mean? Some of us grew up in church, and we got just enough of the gospel inoculated into our veins that now when the real word comes, we're immune. We don't get the disease. And so it's harder to witness to people that used to go to church than it is to witness to somebody that's never gone to church. But that doesn't mean that we don't try. And if you're one of those people, then uh, smile knowingly and thanks for coming today and don't give up because God is still inviting you to hear his voice. You know where to find the Messiah. You have been told. You have been taught. You know. The question is, will you seek him? I like the little sticker that says, wise men still seek him. Wise women still seek him. Head knowledge is useless unless we act on it positively. Well, the final point I'd like to just throw out there for you is, that it is worth it all to seek the Lord. It is worth it all. Sometimes we wonder. You see, the Magi might have wondered. It was six or seven, eight hundred miles that they had to come. No plane, no train, no fast cars, no buses. They had to walk. It took them months to get there. That's why they came to the house. If you're caught, that's one of the clues. They came to the house where Jesus was living. And that was one of the clues that it wasn't the manger. So do you think maybe they had some doubts on the way? I don't know. But I can't believe that they didn't. When it got hard, it got long. I bet they did. But they kept going. So how about you? You might have some doubts. We all do. It's not, a, it's not if we have doubts, it's when. And what kind of doubts? And even when they found the Christ child, he was scarcely able to walk or to talk. Now, some of you have brothers and sisters. Some of us have children or grandchildren that are two or three years old. So just imagine I have a little boy here or a little girl here, two or three years old. And now I see them and I realize, it's the Messiah after they just poop in their pants. I mean, let's be real, right? After they just cry because they don't get their way. Somehow, God was speaking to them that, yes, this is the one. Believe it. Huh. That took a step of faith. Do you think it was worth it when the Magi came? Of course it was, we say now, looking back, because they found God in the flesh. I ask myself often, and the last few weeks or month have been no exception, is life worth it all? Is it really? Is this journey through time and space as followers of Jesus Christ, traveling the road from earth to heaven, is it worth it all? Should we keep going? Shall we, shall we give up? Is it worth it all when we're sick? Maybe the COVID, maybe not. Maybe it's the flu. Maybe it's only a cold. But who wants to be sick? Is it worth it all to keep going? When we're tired, 
when we're frustrated? Is it worth it all when our prayers go unanswered? We have a daughter that's divorced. And she prayed and prayed and prayed, and we all did, that God would save the marriage. And then it didn't happen. He didn't want to bother. He was too tired. He didn't love her anymore. And some of you have gone through this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Should we continue to follow Christ even when something like that happens? Or should we just give up and say, I guess I, I, guess I missed it? Is it worth it all when the means and the ends don't meet up? You've been there? Is it worth it all when we struggle to serve or just to survive, and yet the end seems disappointing? At times of doubt and questioning, I say to all of us today by way of encouragement, by the way of exhortation, let us lift up our heads and recall that an eternal dawn is coming when we shall see the King of kings and the Lord of lords face to face. Jim mentioned that last week. This is kind of a follow-up. It's like, I agree. Amen. Someday, we believe that we will see Jesus face to face. Is it worth it all to keep on? Keeping on? I would like to suggest that it is. And I'm thankful that, again, I said this before, but I can't overstate it. I'm glad that you're here today. Not that this is the one-stop fix-it-all, but it's a good sign that God is working in your life and you do want to grow in your faith. So at, down, at, time, at these times of doubt and questioning, we have to remember that the day is approaching when he will call us home or he will return in what's called the second coming and he will take us to be with him forever. And the Bible says he will wipe away all tears and declare the end of all sin. So yes, yes, it is worth it all. Let's remain faithful in this journey to see the Christ. Let's follow the star. Let's follow the voice of God. Let's listen to what he says. Let us not give up. Let us not lose heart. Let us not give in. Let us not give out. Let us not surrender. Let us not turn around. Let us not re re lose our resolve. Let us continue in the most holy faith day by day by day by day, season by season by season by year by year by year. Let us continue in the most holy faith so that when the Lord returns or when he calls us home, we will discover like the Magi on their journey to Bethlehem, the journey to the celestial city is worth it all. Does anybody here agree? Is it worth it? Us? A little nod will do. A verbal amen would even be better. As the song says, as with gladness, men of old did the guiding star behold. So most gracious Lord, may we evermore be led to thee. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for the star. We thank you for the angels. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this day, which we remember the epiphany and the coming of Christ, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, and I am so thankful. And most of us here are so thankful that it wasn't just for the Jews, and it isn't just for the Jews, it's for all people. Whosoever believeth in him, whoever believes, may have eternal life, may have sins forgiven.
So thank you for each person here. May we be sure today, or at least continue on our, on our quest to know God personally, not simply to know about him, to know all the Christmas stories, all the other stories in the Bible, as good as they are, but to really know and to live for and to be empowered through the Holy Spirit of God himself. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.